Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Over Christmas, I was staying at my parents' house, and my parents live in the Lake District, so the true north. And uh, it's very cold. They live in a really old mill house, which the central heating is really ineffective. It's not great. We're walking around with like multiple jumpers, scarves, dressing gowns, hot water bottles attached to our bodies just to stay warm. Anyways, during the Christmas slump, we were having like a picky lunch. You know what I mean? Like with the sandwiches and like the bits and bobs. And uh, this really quite pungent ham. And um, it tasted great, but it was, it was very, very smelly. It was a really weird, smelly ham. To the extent that for the rest of the day, I was convinced that I could smell the ham still. And um, yeah, I, like, I put more perfume on, I washed my teeth, and um, by around 4pm, I began to get quite self-conscious that I was actually sweating this ham smell. <laughs> um, to the extent that I asked my family members, like, can you smell ham on me? And they were like, yeah, like, what is that? Oh, I don't know. And um, yeah, and then as the evening went on, it got a little bit warmer, the fire was lit, and um, I began to take off a layer. And lo and behold, as I take off my scarf, this lump of ham fell onto the floor. And I was like, ah, okay. Um, So this seemingly small piece of ham had managed to plague me and those around me for the whole day without me even realising what it was. So you might be thinking, Beth, that's a bit of a weird, unhygienic story, what are you on about? Um, So if you open your Bibles to Haggai 2, you'll hopefully see why I haven't embarrassed myself for no reason. So yeah, let's just get stuck right in. And I'm going to be reading from Haggai 2, verses 10 to 23. So on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other foods, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all of the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Yeah, it's a weird one. Thanks for that, Tim. That's great. (laughs) 
And um, so this passage brings close to our series on Haggai. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been hearing from Tim about rebuilding, how Haggai was instructing the people to rebuild through crisis, acting out of obedience and what to do in the face of disappointment as well. So today, we're going to be looking at what are you building? So to begin with, this passage is telling us that sin spreads more easily than holiness. So in his first analogy, Haggai refers to consecrated meat, holy meat. And in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, God laid out certain rules for how payment could be made for when people sinned. And this involved sacrificing an animal, and the blood of the animal would then cover the wrongdoings of the people. And the people that Haggai was talking to would have understood that this is what he's talking about. So in verse 12, we see he asked the priests if this holy meat will also make other food it comes into contact with holy. And the priests reply, no. He then asked if, in verse 13, if someone touches a corpse and then touches these foods, will the food then become unclean? And the priests say yes. So a person who touches a dead body becomes unclean. And then if he goes on to touch the wine, the olive oil, the stew, that food becomes unclean as well. So the contamination of the dead body here in this passage has a larger, dare I say, infection rate uh, than the holiness of the meat. And the uncleanliness of the corpse has the power to infect its surroundings, whereas the holy, holy meat's power is limited here. So then Haggai drops a bombshell. He says, so it is with this people. He's saying that the actions and the offerings of the people are unclean and they're not enough, basically. So I recently watched a film, which was brilliant but slightly traumatic, called Waves. And um, I'd recommend it as long as you're in like a healthy emotional state. Like, I wouldn't go into it if you're feeling on the edge. And um, without spoiling it, the film follows uh, a family with a father who manipulates, controls and puts a lot of pressure on his son. To the extent that his son, now kind of burnt out and overwhelmed lashes out with extreme consequences that then ripple throughout, the, throughout like his family and the relationships around him. And um, the initial bad actions of the father, incidentally, like negatively impact multiple people within the film. And this is kind of similar to what Haggai is explaining here in this verse from 13 to 14. If a person defiled by contact with the dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? yes. It becomes defiled. So it is with these people in this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. The corpse that Haggai is describing here is the unfinished temple. As we saw earlier on in the book, the Israelites have been occupied with building their own houses while the dwelling place of God lay in ruins among them. Like it says in chapter 1 verse 9, my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. The ruined temple... And the dead corpse in this passage are examples of their relationship with God. Everything they're offering is tainted by their sin. Haggai is pointing out the gravity of how our sin affects not only us, but also our output. And this is something that we need to take pretty seriously. (laughs) Um, Because this passage kind of causes us to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, what have we become passive about? Is there sin in our lives that's affecting our offering? The father's unkind behaviour in waves had the power to contaminate those around him. A small piece of sandwich filling in my scarf made me smell like ham for the day. And um, as we're going on to see in a few verses' time, the Israelites' disobedience and negligence in rebuilding the temple was affecting their crops, weather and their health as well. 
For the Israelites, their sin and inactivity was preventing them from meeting with God. What's more, the holy meat and sacrifices that they would continuously were offering weren't enough. But as we know in the New Testament, there was one coming who would be enough indefinitely, and that was Jesus. Pretty good. So the second thing I want to talk about is what are you building? So I'm lucky enough to be an auntie to two nephews and a niece, and I love them to pieces. I don't know how many of you guys have small kids in your families, but if you do... You know that while toddlers are great, they can be mini dictators, like adorable dictators, but still dictators. And uh, recently I was playing with some building blocks with my nephew Ezra, and um, me being a creative, um, I'm always like, what are we going to build, Ezra? What do we want to make? You know, should we do a farm? And he's like, no, a tower. I'm like, okay, uh, what about a house or like three-bedroom open-plan apartment? And he's like, no, a tower. I'm like, okay, fine, tower. So um, we start building this tower, you know, like laying the foundations, and 30 to 40 seconds in, Ezra's no longer part of the building committee. Ezra has been distracted by something else. And I kind of think, like, what, what could be more entertaining than playing with your favourite aunt? And it turns out all it takes is a draft excluder. And uh, that, we'll just leave it at that. So we just we leave the tower and we move on, not making it anymore. And throughout Haggai, we've seen that the Israelites have been putting their energy and efforts into the wrong things. They've been focusing their attention on their own homes and affairs and not on rebuilding God's temple. And like my nephew Ezra, they've become preoccupied by other things and not working on the task assigned to them. And we see the repercussions of this in verses 15 to 16. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. In some translations, verse 15 finishes with, how did you fare? And from verse 16, we can see, not very well. They were coming to their storerooms and finding half or even less than half of the produce that they should be seeing from their crops. And this links in a bit to what Tim was saying last week on dealing with disappointment and expectation. They were coming to the storeroom with expectation and being greeted with disappointment. I wonder how many of us can relate to this. I know I definitely have. I think there are probably times in all of our lives when we've had an expectation of how something might go, whether it be a relationship, uh, a job or career path, a health issue or finances or maybe your course, and we've been met with disappointment It's really hard when what you've been building doesn't come to fruition. And we see that in verse 19. It says, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. I bang on about this all the time. So if you don't know, I would be surprised. But um, I'm from Guernsey originally, um, which which is a small British island off the coast of France. It does exist. Look it up. And um, I loved growing up there. It was like a beautiful place. Um, Yeah, it was my home. And I think its unique culture is still a big part of who I am today. And um, when I was 12, my family felt that God was calling us to move to England, to Cumbria, to um, Perchart. Sorry, plant a church there. And um, for us, like small Southern Islanders, it was a big move. You're like, you don't leave the island. That doesn't happen. And um, yeah, it meant saying goodbye to our family and our friends and our community. And it was, yeah, it was difficult. And um, when we first arrived in England, things weren't easy. Uh, there were complicated dynamics within the church plant that we'd come, come here to build. And we ended up moving on probably about two, two years in. And we had... 
an expectation of what our lives would look like when we moved to England, and it just it wasn't the reality. And I think to an extent we were we were disappointed. And um, when we face those times of disappointment, it really it can hurt. It really hurts, and it can be difficult. But I learned as I went through that that disappointment isn't the end of the story. Um, through all of it, God was still there. And in verse 19, until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate olive tree, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. This verse kind of combines the both of them, the disappointment and the hope. And there are blessings in the here and now, even during the disappointment. And there are future blessings to come. As Tim said last week, our future is better than our past says in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 18, Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive tree crop, olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in, my, in God my Saviour. When our outward forms of support may fail us, for the Israelites this was their crops, their land, for us it could be our jobs, our relationships, it's painful and it can feel barren, but there is hope. From this day on, I will bless you. And as we go on to see in my last point, we are chosen. On the same day that Haggai has challenged the Israelites on their, in, on their inactivity in rebuilding the temple, the yet-to-see fruit of their labour, he turns to Zerubbabel and says, you are chosen. In verse 23, Zerubbabel is referred to as a signet ring. And over the course of history, signet rings would have a small engraving, which would kind of act as a signature. You'd uh, dip it in wax, and then you'd use it to sign and seal documents. So it would be like sealing with their approval and binding a contract. It's a, it's a promise. And the wearer, wearer would never be without their signet ring. When God, God speaks of Zerubbabel as his signet ring, He's here, he's giving him a position in which he would remain inseparably connected with him. God was promising Zerubbabel that he'd be with him and that we'd fight for him, as we see in verse 22. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. God is going to fight for Zerubbabel and give him his authority going out in his approval and his promise. For me, whenever I see something contract, covenant, promise-like in the Old Testament, I always quickly go, oh, this is pointing towards Jesus. Because um, from Matthew 1, we know that Zerubbabel was part of the direct line to Christ. Jesus was a descendant of Zerubbabel. Such a hard name to say multiple times. Um, so when God says, I'll make you like a signet ring for I've chosen you, he's also speaking about Jesus and saying, there is one in whom all of my promises will be sealed and approved. Yes and amen. At the beginning, the holy meat sacrifices weren't enough. Holiness didn't spread like death does. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And through his life, death and resurrection, he redeemed those old laws. In Mark 5, we see a chronically ill woman reach out and touch Jesus' robe. I think verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Then it says, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, and at that time, she would have been seen as unclean, and those who would have come in contact with her would have equally been as unclean. 
But when she reached out to Jesus, he literally felt power had gone out of him and she was healed. His holiness was stronger than her illness, her uncleanliness and her suffering. And we see the same in Mark chapter 1 as well, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus reached out and touched this man. He should have been made unclean by coming, coming into contact with him. As we saw with the holy meat, the holiness couldn't spread. But Jesus' power was stronger. He said, be clean, and he was cleansed. And in Christ, we can be made clean and we will be fruitful. As it says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The Israelites, because of their apathy, they weren't being fruitful and this led to disappointment. But now because of what Jesus has done, we are fruitful because of him. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What we can learn from Haggai and what I've kind of been learning the last couple of weeks is um, now in the light of what Jesus has done for us, it matters where we put our energy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to prioritise God in our lives. It's an active pursuit. I've been asking myself something I've been really challenged by is like, what am I building? Where am I putting my energy? But we're not alone in this. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, it says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's working within us. And we are now his holy temple and his dwelling place.